Hello, friends, and welcome to Brew Theology. I'll be your host today, Janelle Apps Ramsey, and we're going to be talking about the hashtag MeToo campaign. If you want to learn more about Brew Theology, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology and on Twitter at Brew underscore Theology. It just so happens that today is our one-year anniversary, and we're very excited about that. And if you're interested in starting Brew Theology in your community, please reach out to us and let us know, and we'll tell you all about it. With this Me Too campaign, uh, it became clear to me that we needed to have a mixed-gender conversation about this, or a space where we could at least all get together and uh, just process it a little bit. So two Thursday nights ago, we met and did a little bit different kind of sharing where we had a more scripted evening with more listening and less talking and just kind of heard each other and shared some stories and learned a little bit about sexual harassment and what's going on. All that being said, if you have kiddos around, I think that you'll be fine, but if you're not ready to have this conversation with them, you may want to listen to this at another time. Also, as I was in the live um, session, I want to say to you that if you have your own stories of sexual harassment and this is a sensitive topic for you, um, be aware of that as you listen. There could be things here that might be triggering. This could bring up memories or cause an emotional response. And so just know that before you dive in, be in the right headspace uh, to engage with this. And also, if you have any issues, if this brings up something afterwards or causes a strong reaction you weren't expecting, you're more than welcome to reach out to Ryan and I, Ryan at brewtheology.org or Janelle at brewtheology.org. And we can talk with you and also try to help you find someone to talk to in your own area. All that being said, I'm going to move forward through some of our material There's no way that I can cover it all. Uh, We had about an hour and a half. And so I'm going to cover what I can and see what we get through. We may do this again if we find that there's more room for discussion, which there always is. And I will put on the blog, so brewtheology.org on our blog, all of the resources and links that were referenced or used for the creation of this. Also, if you would like to put on this kind of conversation in your area, please let me know, and I'd be happy to talk you through the material that I put together and how I prepared for it and see if that's something that you want to do. Uh, Lastly, before we dive in, I want to thank Dr. Christy Sim, who is a domestic violence and abuse counselor and advocate for helping me with this layout to make sure that this was going to be a safe experience for everyone involved. Shout out to Dr. Kara Lyons-Pardue from Point Loma Nazarene University for allowing me to use her lament and to personalize it to the needs of my group. And then also to Lindia Radice, who is an experienced social worker who also walked with me through this to make sure that it was a positive experience for everyone involved. So before we start our discussion, I'd also like to share this with the men that are listening. Uh, First off, I want to say I'm so glad that you're listening, and I hope that you will hear this. 
We need you in this discussion. We need you in our culture to fight this battle with us. And we're not against you. If you're hearing that, I'm sorry. But I can tell you that the women in brew theology are not against you. And so I just wanted to share a little quote with you from an article online called Gender Equality, What Women Are Really Asking of Men. Quote, Women are not asking men to give up their manhood in order to support women leaders. Rather, they are asking for men to bring their whole selves to work so that they can show up, contribute, listen, and collaborate. Women don't want men to feel bad about being men. That's not the point. It's not just about teaching men not to be sexist and oblivious. Yes, all men and all of us have more to learn on this topic. And yes, women want men to be respectful, but they are not asking men to be passive in silence. End quote. Again, that's from Gender Equality by J.G. Bosella. So let me get started with the lament that we shared. So as you know, we're an interfaith group, and we don't press one belief system over another. There is, however, this tradition in Christianity and Judaism called the lament, which is found in the Psalms. And a lament is a space where... We allow pain to exist and help to process it with God. So I have edited this lament that Dr. Lyons Pardue allowed me to use. And so I'm just going to read this for you. And the parts where I say we, or it sounds like a response, that's this is a, a call and response piece. But I think it's still valuable to hear it that way. So um, feel free to Um, repeat some of those things with me if you would like to. She opened this lament with a paragraph, and I'm going to read that first and then read the lament. Our sisters have shared in anguish about their experience of sexual harassment and abuse. The tradition of lament, which can take the form of prayer or psalm, exists to give voice to sorrow, trauma, and tragedy. It speaks aloud to the sentiments too often buried deep down when we numb our emotions. Lament also turns us to God in the midst of questions, allowing our honest cries to be voiced. Lament usually turns from profound sadness in the direction of hope without discounting pain in the process. While women are not the only victims of sexual abuse and harassment, this collective prayer gives them particular, not exclusive, attention because of the persistent and widespread prevalence of violence and aggression against women. And now for the lament. How long will women be violated? How long will the gift of sexuality be twisted, soured, and made harmful? How long will our sisters name their abuse? and need to cry out, me too, have mercy. Women of all colors, ages, sizes, nationalities, and experience testify, me too. Some women remain silent, holding close to their hearts, their me too. Some have escaped direct assault, but still clutch their keys, knowing it could be, me too. We hear and believe. Women are not the only victims of violence and harassment. Our society is one where power is abused and hoarded. 
We seek to consume, amass pleasure, overuse, and use up. We renounce our greed. For the times when we've remained silent, we repent. For the times we've been the abuser, we repent. For the times we've blamed the victim, we repent. For the times we've dehumanized others, we repent. We mourn for the hurt and unshakable memories that remain, bring peace to our pain. We mourn the sense of unease and vulnerability that surrounds women, bring peace to our pain. We mourn our society that treats women as objects for consumption, bring peace to our pain. Patriarchy and oppression hurt all people, male and female. A healthy world is one in which women and men are partners, equal in their humanity. May we live this out. We commit to empower the women in our midst. We commit to live differently. We commit to love more fully. May we find the desire and strength to do so. discussion on Thursday, the next thing that we did after the lament was just talk for a minute about which of the current accusations offends or has been hardest for us. And just saying those things out loud and sitting in the moment of how uncomfortable and paradoxical and uh, disconcerting some of this is. And so maybe you have someone and you're welcome to come onto the Brew Theology Facebook page and just share that with us if you'd like interact with this whole thing in that way. Next, I interviewed Ryan and we just talked about his experience with sexual harassment and having worked in the church and what that's been like for him. And also, as you've heard him talk about him leaving the Southern Baptist Convention because he believed that women should be equal and also just wanting a world where his daughters find equality to be the norm. After uh, that question and answer period, we looked at an article that I had read many months ago on BuzzFeed. And I have to tell you that I've read it several times. And it, it has been powerful, not powerful enough, I wanted to share it. But I have to tell you that reading it out loud was absolutely startling to me. I, I know these things, I've read them, I experienced them as a woman. But to read them out loud and to let them kind of land in the space um, was a very different experience. And so I, I want to take the time to read them out loud to you. I will include a link to this article so you can read it. This list was originally written by Jenna Gulame from Australia. 
Here are 32 everyday things women do that men don't have to worry about. And uh, you may hear a little bit of extra commentary, just, you know, for fun. Number one, carrying your keys in your hand as a weapon when walking alone at night. Number two, and turning your headphones off to make sure that you're not being followed. Number three, nailing the I'm walking quickly but not so quick that you'll sense my fear pace when someone is behind you. Number four, calling friends when alone in a taxi or Uber in order to feel safe. Number five, or texting them your driver's details just in case. Number six, messaging them when you get home to let them know you're okay. Number seven, sitting near other women on public transport to minimize the risk of being harassed or attacked. Number eight, avoiding being out altogether if it's too early in the morning or too late at night because it doesn't feel safe. Number nine, pretending to be on the phone in any number of situations to avoid harassment. Number 10, wearing a wedding ring to reduce the chances of men hitting on harassing you because they respect another man's property more than a woman's right to say no. Number 11, giving men fake names and phone numbers rather than risking their anger at being rejected. Number 12, Staying silent when being verbally harassed out of fear if you fight back, it'll turn violent. Number 13. Keeping your drink covered with your hand and getting your friend to watch it if you need to go to the bathroom at a bar so that it doesn't get spiked. Number 14. Making sure a friend always knows where you are if you're going on a first date with a stranger. Number 15. Working hard despite the knowledge you're being paid, on average, less than men in the same position. On average, women are being paid 71 cents to the dollar for work that men do. If you're a person of color, you're being paid less. Number 16. Qualifying statements with words like just and sorry to avoid being perceived as pushy or aggressive. Number 17. Faking being happy and perky even when you don't feel like it, to avoid being seen as a bitch. Number 18, but not being too perky so that people don't think you're stupid. Number 19, pretending to be patient when you're interrupted and talked over repeatedly by men. Number 20, repeating yourself over and over again to get your point across. Number 21, removing hair from your armpits, legs, and bikini line Because on women, it's gross, but on men, it's totally acceptable. Just so you know, that's totally a cultural expectation. There is no reason that women do that. Number 22, spending a lot of money each month on period products, which are considered a luxury by many governments. Number 23, hiding said products up sleeves or in pockets when going to the bathroom in public places, because there's still a lot of stigma around periods. Just to remind everybody listening, all women have periods every month. It is a normal, natural part of body function. There's absolutely no reason that it should not be something that we can talk about. 24. Making sure the right amount of skin is covered up or risking being seen as slutty or indecent. 25. Wearing makeup because you're conditioned to believe your bare face isn't good enough or heck. Just you like it, 
and being told you're fake. 26, or not wearing makeup because you don't want to and being told you look tired or sick. 27, questioning whether the tweet or Facebook status you're about to post will result in being viciously trolled or harassed and having to make the decision about whether it's worth it. Just so you know, the same thing goes for blogging, podcasting, and sometimes for many women just existing. Anytime that a woman speaks her mind or shares an opinion, she often wonders how she will be harassed because of that. Number 28, constantly empathizing with male TV movie leads and then having to deal with men protesting on the few occasions women are given starring roles. Number 29, answering and or deflecting deeply personal questions about your relationship status, fertility, home life from family, potential bosses, current bosses, and random strangers. Um, It is actually nobody's business why I do or don't have kids. It's actually no one's business why you are or are not married. It's actually no one's business whether or not you are or are not in a relationship. For women, uh, we expect those questions all the time. Number 30. Taking the pill if you have sex with men and want to avoid getting pregnant because there's still no male equivalent available. Actually, they have discovered a pill that will work on men, but there's not a whole lot of pressure to bring it to market. So that seems a little unequal. Number 31. Living with the knowledge that the government, dominated by men, has the power to legislate against your bodily anatomy. It doesn't really matter how you feel about some of the issues surrounding that. Why are women not trusted to take care of their own bodies? And number 32, and dealing with people telling you that your concerns aren't valid and you should stop complaining because women are equal. If you believe that in today's world, you're not paying attention. And I encourage you to do more reading and research and Continue to hear the stories of women, especially women of color, who face uh, unprecedented discrimination for what is going on. Thank you for listening to that list. I think it's a powerful expression of what women feel. And that night when I read it, you could see uh, heads bobbing all around the room for everything. And as I've had other conversations with women about this list and similar topics, This is what women have to worry about to exist in the world every day. It's not an exaggeration. And if you ask the women in your lives if they're dealing with this, um, I think you will find that many of them do. In our discussion on Thursday, the next thing that we did is we did have room for a small group discussion. And we talked about these three questions. And so what I've asked Dan Dan to do for us is he's going to insert about 60 seconds or a little bit more of music after these questions so that you can have a minute to think about it. I don't know how well that'll work on a podcast, but we're going to give it a try. If you'd like to share any of your thoughts on this, again, you can visit us on Facebook or tweet to us and let us know what were your answers to these questions. So number one. What were you taught early on about how to treat people of the opposite or different gender?
number two, do you still believe in those things? And number three, where have you changed your views? After we had our discussion on those questions, we did take a moment to share them in a large group. And this might be a great takeaway um, from this discussion is just to open up this question to maybe some people at work or your family and just talk about like, where did your assumptions come from and how did they form? And part of the reason that we did this is one of the ways that we can see how gender expectations develop and then how they function in culture is to look at the experiences of transgendered people. Now, if you've been listening to Brew Theology for a while, we have an interview with Paula Johnson, who is now a woman. And she also just recently shared her experience on the Denver TEDx stage and talks about what it's like to move from being a powerful man into the life of a woman. And I think that no matter where you land on this, uh, on how you feel about transgendered people, the one thing that they show us when it comes to this discussion around discrimination is that they very, very much can testify to the fact that they're treated differently just because they carry a different gender on their bodies. And one of the places that you can read about that is in a book called The Hidden Brain by Shankar Vedantam. He also does a podcast on NPR, and in his book, The Hidden Brain, the chapter The Invisible Current talks about this very thing, about how does this movement around male and femaleness, how is it experienced by transgender people? And so I'm going to read a little bit in just a second, but let me just summarize a little bit of what's in there, and I'd encourage you to go find it. Uh, This book's been out for a while, so You can get it at the library or find it at Amazon. You could even, if you want, just sit down and read just this chapter to kind of experience it. And he does have the podcast, so I will try to find a podcast where he talks about this specifically, if it's out there, and we'll put a link to that on the blog as well. So in this chapter, starting on page 101, he talks about Joan Rothgarden and Ben Bars, who are biologists at Stanford University, and both of them were transgendered and transitioned while they were at Stanford. Ben Barnes transitioned when he was 50, and for much of his life, he existed inside of a scientific pursuit as a woman, Barbara Bars. So Barbara went to MIT and experienced discrimination for her gender in her science program, and was often found it harder to find jobs and found places to serve or do residency. But things changed 
pretty significantly once Barbara became Ben. And this paragraph says, quote, Ben once gave a presentation at the prestigious Whitehead Institute in Cambridge, Massachusetts. A friend relayed a comment made by someone in the audience who didn't know Ben Bars and Barbara Bars were the same person. Ben Bars gave a great seminar today, but then his work is much better than his sister's, end quote. So you can see there that just by, in part, changing gender, there was a perception change in the quality of the work that Ben was doing. Ben also talks about how he experiences life different in the regular world and being taken more seriously on a regular basis. And in an essay, in response to the, to the assertion that women are unable to do scientific pursuits, he said this, quote, When it comes to bias, it seems that the desire to believe in a meritocracy is so powerful that until a person has experienced sufficient career-harming bias themselves, they simply do not believe it exists. By far the main difference I've noticed is that people who don't know I'm transgender treat me with much more respect. I can even complete a whole sentence without being interrupted by a man, end quote. Joan goes on uh, to share her story um, about um, working her way as a man through scientific pursuit and how easy it was and how she was just taken seriously when she was a man and that that changed as well when she became a woman. Quote, I am no different than I was, so I should, on its face, be able to command just as much authority to reframe issues or have my considered opinion placed on the table as I used to, Joan Roughgarden told me. In my opinion, because of what I've been through, I don't think my work has ever been better, end quote. Right before the end of the chapter here, Shankar talks about how it's really hard for us when we are in one gender our whole lives to see some of this discrimination and the way that gender plays out around us. And much like if you're swimming and you're swimming with the current, it may seem like you're doing a great job and it's really easy. But then when you have to swim back against that current, it becomes much more difficult. And so on page 110 of The Hidden Brain, um, he says this, quote, Most of us men and women will never consciously experience the undercurrent of sexism that runs through our world. Those who travel with the current will always feel like they are good swimmers, and those who swim against the current may never realize that they are better swimmers than they imagine. We may have our suspicions, but we cannot know for sure, because most men will never experience life as a woman, and most women will never know what it's like to be a man. It is only the transgender who have the moment of epiphany when they suddenly face a current that they never really, were never really sure existed, or suddenly experience the relief of being carried by a force larger than themselves. The men and women who make this transition viscerally experience something the rest of us do not, they experience the unfairness of the current, end quote. And so that's where some of this bias exists and how that impacts the way that we each experience the world. In our meeting, um, I brought up someone that teaches HR at a tech firm and uh, talks about unconscious bias and unbiasing and sexual harassment. I'm not able to duplicate that here at this time, though I might do an interview with him later. 
What I would encourage you to do is if you have questions about what to do in today's world, go do the research. Just put the question into Google. And also on the blog, I'll have several articles that you can read that talk about how to do this. But overall, when I interviewed this person, his kind of summary is be a good human in your actions and the way that you talk to people and the way that you interact with people. Be a good human. Treat them like you would want to be treated. And that sounds very cliche, but I think it is a significant thing that we often miss. The other part of this conversation that we had is going to be on the website as well. I'm going to post um, a link to a power and control wheel and also an emotion wheel. And those seem kind of random, and I get that. But what we need to recognize as you do, we read about this and learn about this is that a lot of times sexism and sexual harassment have less to do with gender and much more to do about power and control. And so we have to look at how do power and control function and lead us into a place where abuse happens. So I would encourage you just to look at those and think about them. I'm happy to answer any questions. Feel free to email me and I will answer them or connect you with someone that's an expert in these fields. Coming out of this discussion, I didn't want people to feel hopeless. I mean, I know this is a super heavy topic and it's really hard to talk about. So the next thing we did as a group is on their tables, we had a little basket and some cards, and I asked them to finish the sentence. If I could give one gift to the world, it would be. I have to tell you, I was blown away. Our people are amazing. I say that all the time. When you hear some of these answers, I think you're going to see how many good people are out there doing this hard work that want to see the world to be a better place. And so I'd like to share some of those with you right now. If I could give one gift to the world, it would be for the world to have compassion. If I could give one gift to the world, it would be permission to be vulnerable and to feel safe. If I could give one gift to the world, it would be listening. Those in power listening to those not, to the victimized, the powerless, the disenfranchised, that we in a privileged position would count the experience and perspective of those not as equally, if not more valid than our own as truth, even and especially when it isn't consistent with our own, to listen, acknowledge, and validate, and to pursue a way of life that does the same. If I could give one gift to the world, it would be to appreciate the value of little girls. They're equal. They're great. They deserve better. If I could give one gift, it would be to have a heart to do the right thing always. If I could give one gift, it would be respect. If I could give one gift, it would be that every person should feel empathy for someone who's different, at least daily. If I could give one gift, for 10 years I would put all women in male roles and all men in women's roles. If I could give one gift, that would be the gift of life to each and every moment. If I could give one gift, it would be social consciousness. If I could give one gift, it would be respectful empathy. If I could give one gift, it would be merit-based positions. 
If I could give one gift to the world, it would be empathy. If I could give one gift, it would be presenting all children, male and female, with unbiased career options. What do you want to be when you grow up shouldn't be gendered. If I could give one gift to the world, it would be viva la difference. If I could give one gift, I would change the cultural definition and expectations for what it means to be a man. Change expectations of power, strength, control, hardness, and lack of emotion. If I could give one gift to the world, it would be a female pope. If I could give women the ability and safety to walk, hike, and camp alone without fear. That's especially uh, poignant here in Colorado where we have great outdoors and people love to go do those things. And I find it really sad that my women friends don't feel safe doing that. Before we finish, I do have a closing poem that's very beautiful. I did ask uh, some of my friends if they would like to share their experiences of harassment with you and uh, got a few answers. And we always want to say thank you to women that are willing to do that, to put it out there. One of those stories was a woman that had just become part of a staff at a church And when she was out for her first lunch with the guys, all the staff, within the course of that meal, uh, one of the guys ordered peanut sauce with his meal. One of the guys talked about seeing an elephant have an erection at the zoo. And another person talked about a restaurant in Asia that only serves different animal penises. Um... That is awkward, to say the least, and it is a form of harassment. And for many women, especially in the church setting, they don't always know that. They don't realize that that falls under that category because they've never learned about it. And so I think it's important to bring awareness that this can happen anywhere, that nothing is, no one's immune, no no situation's immune and that that really happens. Another story that was shared with me was this. I was a senior in high school and worked in the school library during study hall. While putting books up on a high shelf, a male student came up behind me, pressing his body against my back, reached around with his hands and grabbed my breasts. I brought down both arms and elbowed him hard in the ribs. I also stomped on his foot with my kitten heel, which broke three tiny bones in his foot. Both of us were suspended for a week for fighting. That was 1990. You know, you've heard your own stories. You, You may have your own stories. And I don't want to add to the stress of that. But I think it's important that we remember that it's all around us. And the only way that's going to change is when we change it. So as we finish up with this podcast, I want to thank you so much for listening. I know this has been hard. There's, again, so much more that could be talked about, uh, so much more information to be shared. 
If you have specific things that you would like to hear us talk about, please let me know, and we'd be glad to put together a show on that. And again, if you would like to host this discussion in your area, please reach out and I'll share my resources with you. And you'll be able to see uh, the majority of the information that I shared on this podcast on the blog post once we post the podcast. So to close, I asked my friends to share with me some poems that they thought would be good to close a moment like this. And I was blown away by the suggestions. And this was one of them. And so I'm going to read it for you. And then we'll be done. So if you'd like to read this poem from its originator, it's by Aurora Levens Morales. It's called Vahafta. I will have a link to it to her website. And you can support her poetry there if you would like to. Vahafta. Say these words when you lie down and when you rise up. When you go out and when you return, in times of mourning, in times of joy, inscribe them on your doorposts, embroider them on your garments, tattoo them on your shoulders, teach them to your children, your neighbors, your enemies, recite them in your sleep. Here in the cruel shadow of empire, another world is possible. Thus spoke the prophet Roque Dalton, All together, they have more death than we, but all together we have more life than they. There is more bloody death in their hands than we could ever wield, unless we lay down our souls to become them, and then we lose everything. So instead, imagine winning. This is your sacred task. This is your power. Imagine every detail of winning, the exact smell of the summer streets, in which no one has been shot. The muscles you have never unclenched from worry, gone soft as newborn skin. The sparkling taste of food when we know that no one on earth is hungry, that the beggars are fed, that the old man under the bridge and the woman wrapping herself in thin sheets in the backseat of a car, and the children who suck on stones, nest under a flock of roofs that keep multiplying their shelter. Lean with all your being towards that day when the poor of the world shake down a rain of good fortune out of the heavy clouds and justice rolls down like waters. Defend the world in which we win as if you were a child. It is your child. Defend it as if it were your lover. It is your lover. When you inhale and when you exhale, breathe the possibility of another world into the 37.2 trillion cells of your body until it shines with hope then imagine more. Imagine rape is unimaginable. Imagine war is scarcely credible rumor. That the crimes of our age, the grotesque inhumanities of greed, the sheer and astounding shamelessness of it, the vast fortunes made by stealing lives, the horrible normalcy it came to have, is unimaginable to our heirs, the generations of the free. Don't waver. Don't let despair sink its sharp teeth into the throat with which you sing. Escalate your dreams. Make them burn so fiercely that you can follow them down any dark alleyway of history and not lose your way. Make them burn clear as a starry drinking gourd over the grim fog of exhaustion and keep walking. Hold hands. Share water. Keep imagining. 
so that we and the children of our children's children may live. Thank you so much for joining me. If you have any questions or any concerns or just need to talk, please reach out to us and let us know. Thank you so much for listening to Brew Theology.